decided to celebrate. We were so we did it a year ago when we started the band. Mm-hmm. So last October, we did a ten year of the. Uh, hey, I can't believe the band is ten years old. Yeah, kind of shows. Yeah, in Boston, in New York. When these sort of like big milestones come, do you kind of look at like where you are and compare it to where you thought you'd be, and all of that? Those fun questions. Sure. I mean, well, last fall it was an interesting thing because not only were we about to record a new album, the f- the fifth album, yeah, um, but we were also a, a writer from the UK had come over to write a book about us making that album. So it was a, like a, ho- a book about you making yeah, the album? Yeah, and just about the band in general, huh. a guy named M. Jonathan Lee. So it was like a hall of mirrors. I mean, there was a pl- more than enough reason for yeah. self-reflection. And, um, but you know, we'll leave that up to him. And we just kind of every year, just it's, it's like the school year every year in the fall. Yeah. Like, um, are we still doing this? And because it's certainly Do you actually what, like have that meeting. Is that. Well, we meet, I mean, we meet all the time. Yeah. They, but do you, do you have like a, okay, so everything's gone all right and let's do another record. Some this years year. it's been more of a pointed question than not, but yeah. mostly it's just a looking around. Yeah. And, um, is anybody about to leave? And, uh, you, cause you've, you've been through a few people. Yeah. But the, the, the lineup is that is now in place is the most, um, you know, it's been the same lineup for going on. Four years now, which is definitely the biggest stretch. Yeah. So it's kind of like in place now. I mean, I have to imagine that each time that that happens, there's a bit of a reassessment too when somebody decides to move on. You know, whether, yeah. Whether the band, oh is yeah, still the yeah. band, and you know, I guess then you get into some you know pretty existential questions about what a, what a band actually is. Right, and that's um, that's one of the reasons we called the the fifth album a band is something to figure out. Yeah, there was a certain point where. I was, I could, we couldn't train another drummer. It was just going to drive me crazy because that was like the turnover. Yeah. It's and always the drummer. It's always the, always the first to go, right? It seems like it, at least with us. And, um, and luckily we found Ryan, who's amazing. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to start because A, we didn't expect to get signed to them. We get signed to Misera. And then we were trying to take it as seriously as we could, um, which was nice to do for a while, but, now the goal is, you know, we kind of put those secondary goals on the back burner and it's just about creativity, put out albums, ha- have fun. And that's, and that seems to be some kind of trick to longevity. You're basically opening yourself up to this conversation with every fan when you title an album that. Yeah. And I want to, yeah, I want, I kind of <laughs> wanted to trigger that with the, with the album title. Um, just, um, yeah, why do we like bands, yeah. and um, and are they puzzles for the listener? Are they puzzles for the band themselves to figure? You know what I mean? And like, if a band figures themselves out, is there anywhere to go? Is that it? You know, yeah. I, I kind of like if a band understands all the members so well and they know all their moves and tricks. I feel like that's when you start to repeat yourself and that's when you start to get bored. You can tell when a band's getting bored. You can tell right. on yeah. record yeah. when they're, they're either going through the paces or trying something new for the sake of trying something new. Oh, right. Yeah. Like the experiment to, yeah. Yeah. To like get out of a rut. Yeah. So the, the title was kind of like a, almost like a little magic spell to kind of scare ourselves into thinking, <laughs> to questioning that 
while making it. I told everyone that me and the bass player came upon the title one night out and no one knew the title till halfway through the recording session. And then I <laughs> told everybody the author from the UK was there and we kind of had a argument about it. But I thought that was a great moment yeah. to have in the middle of a recording session. You were you were like pushing for a Wilco moment. What's that? I'm trying to break your heart. That movie, like you were pushing for like a little, like <laughs> you were, you were making a little bit of a scene for the outsider. Well, I wouldn't say it was, <laughs> I was, I mean, while he was here, I totally joked nonstop about how I needed to do something crazy to give him a book. Yeah. And in fact, he, he does need to come back and watch us do something else. He's told us. So perhaps I um, should have got arrested or something, but um, there's still time. Yeah. Uh, it's Boston. I feel like, you know, there's a, pretty easy to just sort of get in a fight on the street and get arrested in the sand you know what's a funny story though where you mentioned wilco yeah when that movie premiered i had a friend a couple friends who worked for the film company Uh who released it and i was at the premiere and it ended up we were seated directly in front of the band wilco (laughs) and it was really a surreal experience we had never seen the movie of course yeah and just to hear what they're laughing at, and were then you, you were watching them watch the movie for the first well, time. Well, I was behind them, so I was. But, li- but they was, were, but they were experiencing. I it think with some you. of them hadn't seen the final cut. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but I'm listen. You know, and then the tense scenes come up, and the laughter stops. It was just a really interesting yeah. thing to uh, to kind of stumble into. It sounds like you're at a point you know, 10, 10 years in, or I guess 10 years after the first record came out where there isn't that, the, the, the pressure isn't there because you're just, you seem pretty happy with where you are as a band. Yeah. I, I think with anything and it's not possible for everyone, I get it, but the more you can just put your focus on creativity and less, the less you worry about how you can turn it into your job or how yeah. you can ensure good reviews and more fans or whatever, the, I don't know if it's going to yield better work, but I will say you'll have a you'll enjoy the process more. You really you kind of fired on all cylinders for that first record, and you were you got noticed really quickly. Yeah, it was. You know, I think we were now with some hindsight. We were, you know, it was the blog band boom. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and so like two thousand, what did we say, two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah. You know, so many people had blogs, and so many people wanted to break something that they saw as new and exciting and couple that with misery assigning us uh yeah it was it was a good way to start i mean we um we're you know like like you here you saw us on that tour we're probably still playing to a lot of the fans who found us that first year oh the live the live show is really important you know i I, that, that that was a, a time in my life where, where I was I, I went to every CMJ for probably somewhere between five and ten years, yeah. and you know you get to the point where you're just trying to jam in as much as humanly possible. Right, you know, you're yeah, trying yeah. to see like all yeah. of these bands. Yeah, you know, trying to split it between the ones you've seen and like you know be the first to see another band. But you you definitely stood out. I mean, I do I remember that show very distinctly in ways that i i don't remember probably 98 percent of the oh CMJ wow shows. thanks thanks so much and, but the live experience yeah has always it seems like it's always been a pretty big part of the band oh yeah i mean we've um certainly on some albums more than others we wanted to do certain things in the studio we wonder how you know we want to play the, most of these songs live so yeah we take that in consideration but um you know the it's interesting the bit we probably done a reverse evolution where most bands 
I feel like most bands start out kind of a punky garage thing, like guitars, sure. yeah. drums, yeah, and the singer. And then they move up to like orchestral. And we started that way with a cello, a trumpet, keyboard. And now it's all guitars, the keyboard, drums. When I approached you to be on the show, you, you mentioned that you listened to the, the Julian Coster. Episode. Oh, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, you know, that, there's definitely a kinship there. Well, I love, sure. With love the Elephant Six bands, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, in uh, when I was going to college, BU, late 90s, that was very exciting to me. I mean, yep. it was like, it was like, you know, people just a little older than us. And they were doing this exciting thing, and they were getting noticed for it, sure. Yeah. Obviously, the spectacle is a huge part of that. Yeah, with any band that's going to perform live, you want to... But uh, when you're introducing, you know, the cello... When you're oh, yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're yeah. sort of moving away from, you know, 800 three dudes, you know... Right, two, right, right. Two dudes with yeah. a guitar and a drummer band. And it was a technical pain in the ass. I mean, for yeah. a new band to... Like, I remember one of our... Like, maybe within the first 10 shows, we told the sound guy what we needed... And he, he said, great, I'm just going to go out back and shoot up. He was like so <laughs> pissed at us about what we required yeah. for like a little band playing. It's such in the a base. snotty little thing. And, you know? we, and we were, yeah. we were very mindful to be the opposite no matter what we technically might require. Like we're a get the hell off the stage, no diva, you know, behavior. So it wasn't that, but just, just the number of inputs required. I think gave a lot of sound people a headache. How did it come together so big? I mean, why why not start off with just a couple dudes and guitars? Um, I think it was a mixture between people around me that I liked and you know, I was trying to think of like the arrangements of my favorite songs ever. Yeah. And with the first lineup of the band, um, you could perform Strawberry Fields Forever, which I thought was like, oh, that's a great like that's just one beat. <laughs> well, no, but we had we had a synth, so it was yeah. like that's just one moment of the Beatles. But what if you based a whole band yeah. on the instrumental lineup of one Beatles song? That's great. Yeah, yeah. So that was but but like I said, that's only part of the thinking. I just happened to meet a guy who played cello and guitar. Yeah. A half a trumpet player moved to town that uh we got along really well. So But I like the idea of picking of picking sort of a departure point. Picking or I guess a I guess a starting point for you. Yeah, you know, a, a uh, coming together with at least some some kind of an idea as uh-huh. you're bringing this together. I mean, were you were you the guy who is kind of bringing all of the ideas to the table early on? Were you the the, the manager? I was definitely like the ringleader. Yeah. Um, well, uh, okay, so uh, me and this guy I went to nursery school <laughs> with. We yeah. had a band called The Stairs around here before that. And that was a weird experience because the way that band started was a cable company lawsuit back in my hometown of Dedham, Mass. When a cable company comes to a town, they have to give a certain amount of money back to the community every okay. year. And Dedham's cable company didn't do that for like 20 years. Okay. And so there was this lawsuit and suddenly I was coming home from summers in college and they were like, there's this creative fund and you just have to promise you'll involve a lot of the townspeople and they'll give you money. So I made a short film. I was going to be you for a film studies i made a short film they gave me a thousand bucks i was the first person to do what i said i was going to do with the money so they were like they just thought i was the best so they were like whatever you want to do next so i had some people kind of advising me they were like you should go big you're interested in music and i asked for 10 grand to make an album with the entire town of denim i was like we'll write the songs but like anyone who wants to play on it we'll get them on there 
kids at the schools will do the artwork. We'll have the marching band, the church choir. And um, they were like, we can't give you $10,000. And I was and not even making a power move. I was like, well, all right, then. They had another idea, like, we'll give you a couple grand, you do it live. I was like, no, I'm not interested. They said, show up to the ceremony. Suddenly, I'm holding a novelty oversized check for 10K. And I, me and my friends, including Eric, who was the first drummer in Hills, spent a few years making this album with our hometown. So that's the stairs miraculous happens. Does that does that exist? It does, yeah. It's on Bandcamp, and um, there's still CD copies floating around. And um, I'm really proud of it. It's a weird thing to start with. Yeah. It's like it's like this very organic community project. It's almost got this like polyphonic spree like vibe to it, right? Where it's just like let's it, it evolve as many people as humanly possible. I yeah, I agree. Yeah, like one early review on Pop Matters, I think it said like it was like. It was like the the Langley School of Music yeah. project on yeah. acid or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know? That the drummer and I, that band evolved into a real band beyond the community project, and it lasted a few years. And then two of the members who also wrote songs with me, they went to grad school. Me and the drummer looked at each other and said, "We still want to do this." So that's how Holiday the Hill started, and that's late '05. It, it, it's funny. I mean, it, it almost seems like um, the, the, the first incarnation of Holly the Hills would have been uh, easy compared to trying to organize an entire town. I think so. Yeah. I like I had gone yeah. through the trial by fire. It was. Um, yeah, it was kind of an insane project for like a 22 year old to take on. I'd never recorded anything. Yeah. And we had to lie because they said you couldn't buy equipment with the money and. I didn't want to do it in a studio. I wanted to like buy a portable what unit. What was the money for if not equipment? Oh, it, it was for studio. I mean, for them, it was studio rentals okay. and produ- you could press CDs with it, yeah. but you couldn't buy equipment. Anyways, we lied about that and we bought, <laughs> We, me and Evan, the guitarist singer, walked into a guitar center yeah. with 4K in our pockets <laughs> and we said, cash, cash. And we said, we want to start a band in a recording studio. What do we need? Now, I don't know if you know how Guitar Center is organized, but it's by commission. Yeah. So these people were like <laughs> vampires on us. I mean, yeah. people were like trying to log out the other person and log in the sale because it was it was a ridiculous moment. I've never, I don't have anything else to compare it to in my life. We're just like kings walking around yeah. the Guitar Center buying. Kings are suckers. It's hard to say. It's true. I mean, but. <laughs> To this day, I still use a lot of yep. that equipment. Like I'll I'll be in the rehearsal space and I'll look at a mic stand and it'll be a little sticker on it that says the stairs. Yeah. And that recording unit, which is called the BR8, it's like an early digital recording unit that recorded on zip disks. Oh, oh wow! I still yeah. have that. And like the EP we put out this summer was done on that. Obviously, there's a there's a novelty element in that. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you you got noticed as a guy who hadn't really released any music at all. Yeah. You were getting some press around that. Yes. But around, but it was really it was this sort of it was not it was a novelty. It was the fact that a town was getting together and putting out an album. There was a definite hook, and but even with that, I didn't think anyone out of Datum yeah. would give a damn. And and it was small, but people did, and it was pretty exciting to me. But do you do you feel like that influenced you know getting like really starting a band in earnest of of bringing in these sort of interesting different elements? And trying to sort of set yourself apart from everyone else. Yeah, I think so because yeah, because the that first stairs album had a leg up where it was like 
it's not going to be the garage demo. Yeah. And it easily could have. Um, and so, I, yeah, I did learn a lesson from that. Like, there's decisions you can make before you hit record or be, before you even build a band that might make you different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After that point, if you, after you had, I don't know if success is the right word, but after you had gotten some <laughs> notice, were you ever pursuing music professionally? Um, pursuing it, sure. I mean... But uh, when, when you made the transition into your the band that you've been with for 10 years. Well, when we started Hills and, and um, when Corey Brown from Misra wanted to sign us, he said, what do you need to be like a a real band that I can send out? And I was like, well, I guess I guess the only thing missing right now is a band. So the advance. Wait, what stage were you in when you got signed? Stage? Yeah. We had um, finished an album and I sent it out to a, okay. a bunch of So you of made the labels. album really before you really started touring in earnest. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so with that first Misery Advance, we bought a van. And then, like I said, the first two albums were on Misery. And we did try to take it as seriously as we could. Yeah. Um, we were realistic, but optimistic kind of thing. So were you were just you were just playing around the Boston area at the time? Yeah, when we, the first year while we were making that first record, we would play Boston and New York. And then as soon as it came out, we started to tour the East Coast, and that yeah. kind of expanded to the right half of the country. And then by the second album, you know, we were doing five week the whole country. It does. It is kind of like part of that backwards ambition too of of really wanting to put together this fully fleshed out album before you hit the road. Yeah, I yeah I I mean I like live shows, but what I really love are albums. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some people in the band who flip that and think and prefer the opposite way. But um, for sure, I've, to me, the key to, like, getting signed and being able to tour was recording that album uh, and, and having someone want to put it out. And so three labels wanted to put it out. We like Misery the best. and Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get to a point where the band was your full-time job? No. I've always kept uh, a, a day job. Um, except for, and this is in the liner notes, the, the album that came out in 2014, have you ever done something evil? When I wrote that I had left, uh, so I worked at a theater that was subsidized by Harvard mm. at the time and it was Harvard benefits are amazing. So I could tour a ton, like I just had oodles of vacation time, but it was a job I was really bored with. And right before I re- started to write that record, I quit and I was like, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I can quit and have about four or five months here. What if I treated the songwriting yeah. like a job? So the, the sense that um, that that this is your one shot to really it attempt wasn't, that? It wasn't that it was our one. Well, I mean, I, I knew I probably couldn't replicate those circumstances, yeah. but I just wanted to see what would happen if if I did have the advantage of just treating it like a full-time job so i i I, for about three four months i didn't have a job and i just went to the practice space every day and wrote and that album came out and that's you know that's a lot of our fans favorite album so there were there were a few years in there yeah i I work in publishing so i've been laid off a few times (laughs) it's just it's kind of you know it comes with the territory yeah there you know there were times when i was freelancing uh and i i just i didn't know what to do with myself i don't know how people do that i don't know yes i mean i go into the office every day i could work from home right but 
it's it keeps me sane to you know get on to get dressed, take right. a shower, get on the train, and and yeah. go into work. And obviously that experience didn't stick to the point where you right. wanted to continue doing that. I think you, you know while I did the small window I had, I I really relished it, so I didn't get sick of it or mm-hmm. kind of deviate too. Bad. You sort of you had the sense that it was going to be finite anyway. I did, yeah. I had a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for instance, my wife is a um, singer-songwriter who does make her living off that. Okay. And she has to self-schedule. And, um, you know, I can see how in the long term it does it, it becomes a challenge. You yeah. Know, what do you, you're your own boss. What are you going to do today? So. How did that period end? When the album came out and then you went back to work? <laughs> it ended because uh, I, I did kind of stumble into a new job uh, yeah. that I'm still at today. Hmm. Um, and by then the album was written. So, yeah. You know, my my one small goal on the checklist had been done. So it's I, I always go back and forth with this in, in my mind. It's always been an interesting question to watch. Um, you know, I've been out of college for a while and it's and it's been interesting to watch people pursue different paths and yeah. the difference between. Um, I don't know. And I think this is just kind of my nature, but I've always been sort of one foot in one thing. Uh-huh. You know, like I do this podcast on the side. I do yeah. like a lot of freelance writing on the side, but I've always had a full-time job. But it's hard not to have that sense of regret that I didn't just kind of go all in on something. There are people that I look at, obviously, they've had different levels of success, you know, a certain amount of it's about talent, but, you know, obviously, luck plays a really big role, too. Yeah. And I look at a lot of people that I went to school with who are very talented in their creative pursuits, but are working at, you know, bookstores. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but their creative pursuits didn't pan out the way they had hoped they had yeah but i well i think one thing that i find value in is if you kind of live living a normal life does generate a lot of material yeah like you know like you're not writing about being in a band exactly yeah exactly (laughs) i you know i think sometimes people do paint themselves in the corner in that department and I mean, uh, it, I have no regrets. I mean, we, we did everything to the best we did, you know, and I'm throwing air quotes up here, listener, go for it. So, you know, no regret, yeah. you know, we, I'm proud of everything we, and you, you've done. achieved success too. I mean, you do have a fan base and you've been able to continue to put out the records that you want to put out. I mean, that's success by most accounts. Oh my God. I mean, this is more than I had ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last. The last two albums have been fan-funded one, a Kickstarter one, just a pre-sale. Hmm. And so people believe in us uh, enough to keep it going, which is, I can't, I can't, oh, I can't stress it enough how, like, it feels great to have people interested in what you're doing and waiting for the next thing. So. How did the Kickstarter project come about? Oh, I, wait, oh, the last three albums, two 2012's was a Kickstarter. <laughs> 2014's was a Kickstarter. The last one was a, just a pre-order thing. Um, the, the, you, found, you found a method that worked, though. Yeah, but those are very difficult um, and, and a lot of work. Yeah. So, um, but kind of a miracle that they exist. Yeah. Um, but we just tried to make them as fun as possible. I mean, we we made so many stupid videos. You know, and try not to take it too serious. Try not to beg too much and make it appealing where someone 
who's ponying up some money is getting something interesting and not yeah. just, you know, you don't want to be, what's the word? I don't know. You don't want to, you don't want people every few years to just go, oh, here we go again. I yeah. got to give 50 bucks to get a new. Yeah. Yeah. It's down. not a, it's not a subscription plan. Right. It's to me right now that this idea that, you know, keeping a normal life is, is beneficial to songwriting is kind of interesting because I've never, I mean, your stuff is so abstract. <laughs> you know, your stuff is so like just kind of metaphorical. So much of it is and uh-huh. poetic. And is it really, does it really relate that closely to your life? Um, I mean, if I look at it, if yeah. I look at those lyrics, I do see, uh, well, first of all, I mean, um, you know, so many of these songs start out with like, I'll, Used to be a notebook. Now it's yeah. the, the Notepad app on my phone, oh, okay. where it's just um, sometimes it's things you overhear or a lot of a lot of office meeting speak. I find to be like gorgeous accidental poetry. You have always struck me as having almost sort of like a, a kind of a cut up approach. Sure. Of, yeah. Of just finding things that sound nice together. Almost a Paul Simon. <laughs> does that. he do that? He does that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think he just finds well, little nice phrases. Well, that's because you know you could. Yeah. I mean. On one level, you could look at like Graceland. Yeah. And well, the point is, if you if you're if you do try like a cut up method, and then you do do an editing round where you try to step outside it and be conscious of of making it at least internally have some kind of logic. Yeah. I find that myself and listeners always piece together a story. It's hmm. really interesting it's but how got, often is it close to it's kind the of the story that you set out to tell uh it's impossible to quantify but yeah. i do love hearing what people think it's about even if it's not what was in my brain but to you that's the, 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 there are very clear stories if not narratives at least uh, ideas yeah it, yeah the lyrics to me paint a picture uh that suggests a story yeah i'd say i, I suspect it probably helps having a wife that does the same thing <laughs> It's probably, you know, she's certainly she's not going to be pestering you to stop pursuing being in a band. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing to share a life with someone who understands that. Yeah. The importance of it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's not paying the bills. Yeah. So she's a full time musician. Yeah. Singer, songwriter, uh, Marissa Nadler. Okay. She's incredible. Yeah. Everyone should check. You guys meet you guys meet playing music. Um, you know what? It's interesting. We did not, we met, um, we should, we like, after we started dating, we looked back and we were in a lot of like local articles together. And then our, our third date. <laughs> it's like, it's like that cut up thing again. You <laughs> exactly. know what I mean? It's, it's all, just like, it's like I juxtaposition. Yeah. It's amazing. But there, our third date was her birthday party and I knew everyone there and I was like, why didn't anyone ever introduce me? Yeah. There? So, yeah. But it is useful having somebody that does something similar to what you do. This is, I mean, that's always something that's also, this is also, we're getting into like my own personal psychology, but that's something that I, I, I grapple with as well is, um, you know, I, I think there can be, it can be an issue dating someone who does exactly what you do. Yeah, but we're so different. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're like this, uh, anthemic. I mean, yeah, the creativity is the baseline yeah. connection. And then, but other than that, we couldn't be more different than, but we, uh, you know, I've made a lot of music videos for her, and we find ways to work together and stuff. It's great. So so what is your day job at this point? Well, this year is insane because I basically have the job. I, I work in nonprofit uh, theater doing marketing for the last four okay. years. 
You've been in you've been in and around theater for a while. Yeah, right? yeah. My whole life has accidentally yeah. been tangled up in nonprofit theater. I can't explain it. But I mean, once you sort, I suspect once you get in that, it's easy to keep to continue down that path. Sure. I mean, that's who you. Yeah. That's all your colleagues. And, but this year, I mean, um, last winter, I signed a book deal with Penguin, and so this year, I've been working a day job and writing a book. Jesus. And and we did an album and a tour. So um, this year has been especially nuts, but like challenging in an amazing way. Is the band in a place where you can, you know, step off the gas for a little bit and, and focus on a, another product? Project? It was an interesting way we had to arrange it because when I got the deal, we had certain things pl- in place. This album's going to come out. We're going to do a little touring. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, this whole fall I have, we've been less active than normal, but still doing stuff. But, uh, yeah. But in the 10 years, it sounds like, I mean, has, has a year gone by where there just wasn't much. Oh no, no, no. We, yeah, we always have a show or, or working on new songs. I mean, I think that's a lot of the trick to it. Just always be working towards something. How did you get a book deal? Where did, where did that come from? <laughs> well, I wrote um, one of my favorite albums of all time is Van Morrison's Astral Weeks. Oh, sure. Now, we're listener, where we are right now, we're almost on the corner of Green Street here in Cambridge. And in 1968, right before he recorded it, he lived here. Huh. So that blew my mind when I figured that out. I just think of him as being an Irish guy. Exactly. He's from Belfast. You don't associate him with Boston. So I was like, what is that story? There are no Irish people in Boston. Well, there is a connection that way, <laughs> sure. But I was I was really puzzled. I was like, what was he doing here? And yeah. the biographies kind of give it a page or two. No one really knew. Huh. So I just started. I, I, That's I can, crazy to me because you know, all these stories about, you know, obviously like you've got your like David Bowie and Berlin stories, you know, all yes, of these like yeah. really fan. And, and Astro Weeks is the most iconic Van yeah. Morrison record. Sure. And it's a lot of people's favorite record. Yeah. Nobody took the extra step to make that connection to figure out what the hell he was doing in Boston. Well, like I said, I mean, people did, biographers did do it, but it was yeah. brief. Okay. And so Boston Magazine let me do a piece on it. And I just started calling people and trying to find anyone who was alive who had known him here. Did you try to get in touch with the man? I'm still trying to get in touch with the man. Yeah. Van. Let's talk. There's yeah. three months. He's definitely three months to left. <laughs> but no, I and the reason he was here was nuts. It was because he had a bad record deal. Oh, is New York, Bang, uh, Bang the, Records, yeah. and they were they had ties with the mob. And I he, will say those Bang outtakes are one of the best things ever put on record. Oh yeah, your ringworm and your oh that the, that the, con, <laughs> the contractual yeah, obligation the contractual did, obligation yeah. record. Yeah, but he was here on the run from some gangsters and Boston in the sixties maybe doesn't seem like the logic place to get away from gangsters. Well, it was, everyone thinks it's a weird choice and it is, but I think the folk scene that was okay. vibrant in the early sixties maybe was something that in, gave, in Boston. Yeah. Like uh, in Cambridge, okay. you know, it was the, 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 the twins were Cambridge and Greenwich Village for the folk okay. scene. There was a huge folk scene around the Joan the Baez, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that story was very successful. People really enjoyed yeah. it. 
and an editor at Penguin reached out to me and said, could it, I love this story, could it be a book? Huh. And we developed an idea where it would be um, expand that story way out and also a portrait of the music scene here that whole year yeah, and the counterculture here that whole year. And so I'm almost, I have two more chapters and it's out about a year from now. You didn't set out to write a book. No, I didn't. I definitely didn't. It was, um, again, that, that chance thing. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I don't, but not to downplay like I didn't work hard. I mean, um, you know, even once the premise and the possibility was on the table, there was a lot of work to be done to, you know, write a proposal that. It's obviously a great article. I mean, there's no, and you know, any editor would be stupid to reject that, but the idea to turn, stretch that into a book seems yeah. a little untenable. Well, I mean, the first proposal I, I made was just about Van here and the album. Yeah. And I'll admit it was thin soup. That's a little bit like 33 and a third. Territory. It could be a, it could be a perfect one of those, but when I found these related stories, um, it really opened the world up and now it's, it's a very full story. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I, uh, I'm going to talk about it endlessly when it comes out. Sure. But, um, uh, not quite yet, but I'm excited. Yeah. It's fascinating to me as somebody who, um, who lives in, I mean, I'm not from New York, but I've lived in New York for about 12 years and, yeah. um, finding those old connections, you know, and, and yeah. sort of, and I mean, that's one of my you know, I'm I'm lucky. I, I do the show, and and I'm lucky to live in a city like New York because uh, I don't always have to wait for people to come to me. But you know, I can talk to somebody who lived in, you know, in uh, on the Bowery in the '70s. Mm-hmm. But I really like I really like that idea of almost a. It's a. It sounds like it's a detective story. It in in uh, so much so like uh, I. It's all the book has turned me into a weird kind of detective. Yeah. I mean, I just I call up, you know. I've got to lot. recommend. Have you listened to Starley Kine's podcast at all? Of course, yes. Yeah, I, the she, mystery, we had her on the show. Yeah, yeah, she's wonderful. That. Yeah, and, and and it's just and it's this. I there, there's this spirit to it that I, I I really love because you know when people think of doing sort of in, investigative journalism, it's these really kind of grandiose ideas. But the yeah. idea that you can just sort of call somebody up and ask try to figure out why uh, why Britney Spears exactly you know, yeah and it's a delight yeah. yeah somebody's book around is 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 really wonderful and you found such an interesting and solid premise that you were able to devote kind of a year to your of your life for at least part time yeah. to this book exactly yeah i think i think like curious genuine curiosity yeah. is so contagious yeah. like if you can radiate what you're generally curious yeah. about people are going to latch onto it and so one of the there's a couple mysteries in the book, and one of them is the fact that Van had a Boston band that worked on these Astral Week songs huh. that when it came time to record it, they were put on the sidelines. But there's these tapes of them doing it here that a lot of the book centers around me trying to hear them. What was the Dylan? Was it Blood on the Tracks? Or was it Dylan album where he did that, where he recorded... Oh, he did Blood on the Tracks twice. In yeah. L.A. and in New York. That's right, yeah. And that's kind of yeah. similar, right? And I mean, yeah. in that case, he, he did one version and just didn't like it and got an entirely different band and re-recorded it. Right. Yeah, it's a little different with this, but it is a mystery because these Boston players, um, you know, they're dying to... No one's heard this stuff, but they, the tapes exist, both like demo 
sessions and um, a live show that Peter Wolf recorded. And so... Uh, Jay Giles? Jay Giles, exactly. Peter Wolf is a longtime Boston resident. Oh. And he's in the article and he's in the book. And um, But yeah, when he was a young man, he recorded Morrison doing those songs here in Boston. That must that, that's a that's a really nice thing I've I've found in in interviewing people is if you can approach somebody with something if you can approach Peter Wolf and not talk to him about Jay Giles uh-huh. he's probably more than happy to you know <laughs> just like not that he doesn't want to talk about it but obviously he's that's the thing that he's been talking about and if he can find this sort of other interesting aspect this part of somebody's life that they haven't talked about they'll be more than willing to tell you everything about it. Definitely. I mean, Peter um, was really kind to me. He had me over his uh, his yeah. house, and he had set up, you know, all these music for me to play and photographs. And uh, I just got to spend the evening kind of just like quizzing him and and just asking him about yeah something that he normally doesn't get asked about. I guess. Did you have? Were there any weird experiences where where wherein you told somebody that you were doing an entire book based on why <laughs> Ben Morrison recorded this record in Boston. Uh, d- you didn't get any strange looks from that? For, uh, from interviewees? From interviewees, yeah. Um, there certainly have been strange reactions to to me asking about this stuff, but um, mostly the people who ran into him that year, he's like here for eight months, but everyone has a van story from those eight months. Yeah. And so he they seems were, like a guy that generates a lot of stories. He was just moving about town, trying to get things going. Yeah. And he's a young man and he's kind of literally starving and he's about to make a masterpiece. How, how old so is he when he made He's 22. Wow. And so it's kind of like a perfect struggling young artist story. He's 22 and he 20, made I know. Yeah. How old was he in them? Oh, he was like 19, <laughs> 20. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's I crazy. I feel like time, time must have moved differently in the 60s. Well, you know what I find? I, a lot of people that I've interviewed, um, and not necessarily directly related yeah. to Van, um, music was something you did until life got real, especially yeah. with the draft. Yeah. You were either going to go to college or go to the, or, or be drafted. You know, so a lot of people dumped like tremendous amounts of energy into music creation um, at a young age because they knew like I got a year to do this hmm. so I think um, there is that pressure is lessened yeah so I think people stretch out that kind of creative burst and, over. and, and the um, the barrier of entry for actually creating music has dropped totally lowered exactly yeah so so if you're gonna like it used to be if you were gonna go into a studio you would have to have your shit together or yeah or <laughs> some money or yeah yeah so people um people were going for it in ways that um you know it would it would put people to shame today who say yeah. they're going for it you know what i mean that brings us back to i think where where we started in an interesting way because um the, the way you've sort of evolved the band is to lower the pressure in a sense you know That's true, everybody's yeah. going off and 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 leading their lives i mean do you feel like you you could benefit creatively by sort of introducing some parameters or saying, you know, like, you know, if again, I, this idea of naming your last record, what you named it, mm-hmm. were you introducing the sense that this project could be finite? 
instead of I wouldn't say it was introducing it, I was calling it out because okay. every I think every band, every album, yeah. there are these weird barriers that pop up. Sure. Um, but, where, ten, where, but ten is such a significant yeah time, and you know, and you and you were definitely. It sounds like you were definitely in a reflected period. Totally, with with Jonathan coming yeah. over to write about. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it just it it made us look back and also be thankful and just and also just. Um, put a new just put the the creativity and the fun we have put a different kind of spotlight on but but calling it out or or calling attention to what was in the air yeah um did what was that was that added pressure was there a sense that like this could potentially be the last of these we do if anyone was thinking that it was unconscious yeah um because it didn't feel like the end of the band it did, it just felt like a it just felt like a moment it was yeah. it wasn't that dramatic if people want to take it that way that's fine um but uh any any album could be the last so you could say that you could name we could have named every record of <laughs> band is something to figure out or yeah. hey kids one more with feeling or you know, so digging into this idea, digging into the name. I mean, how is the, how is your perception of what a band is changed in ten years? Hmm. I'd say you have to have been asked that a hundred times. I don't. <laughs> I don't think, at least not that way. Um, Have you figured it out? You know, what have you figured out? Well, no, I that okay. That's what I'm trying to get at is that the bands, how the band works, is still a kind of elusive to me. Like I couldn't, because huh. I write the songs. You, I write. You kind of run the band in a sense. Yeah, but what I, what I'll tell you is that I write the songs with um, chords and a melody and most of the lyrics. But the interesting part of it is when you bring it into the rehearsal space. I usually don't have much guidance for the band. Yeah. So everyone listens and then makes up their own part on their own. Mm. And it always ends up way different than how I thought it would. Yeah. The, the slow songs are super fast. Suddenly the fast songs suddenly become ballads, yeah. you know, it's, um, and I don't, I can never guess what everyone's going to do yeah. or add. So in that way, no, that's a, that's a really cool feeling though. And, and and I get the I, the impression that a lot of people who, who write songs don't operate that like that. I, I get the feeling that I'll, I mean, it sounds like even though obviously you're this is kind of your band and it has been your band that it is a collective from the standpoint of you don't go in knowing exactly how a song is going to be. You introduce a, a basic outline and part of the process of being a band, part of the creative process is letting these people who's who you trust exactly yeah yeah turn it into something yeah. better than what you could do on your own that's it yeah yeah and it's it's a lot about trust yeah, yeah. i mean in a way maybe you know maybe there actually has been obviously you know churn is not a great thing for a a, a band or you know relationships in general but there is something to be said for playing around with new people and having new people to interpret it in different ways. That's true too. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, well, 
I'll give you an example. The EP we did this summer was uh, kind of a gut check on if um, on on that exact problem where we the EP we did this summer we the goal was all right we're going to press record and without speaking we're going to just launch into a minute about a minute long improvised song and we're going to do like 30 of them but like five are going to be good so we would i would hit record and we would go we would go and we just start playing something and then a minute would go by i'd stop and then we keep repeating that process i picked the five that were good and then made up vocals on top of them and it's, that, like, it's like it's like when you do like trust exercises yeah it's like a, it's a it's the, <laughs> the band's version of a trust fall yeah. yeah so that was like a concerted effort to make sure that um we stay on our toes i it, it, it's a fine it's a fine line too it, it's kind of funny you know i was i was, I was talking to I, I don't know if you know the band joan of arc at all a little bit yeah uh, yeah they're gonna be on a, a, an upcoming i guess in the past when this goes up episode of the show and they had just had, had an album come out that week and you know, I had to ask him, like, every time you have an out, it seems like Pitchfork has a vendetta against you because they're, like, <laughs> consistently, like, scoring his, you know, his records, like, in the in the ones and twos. Really? Um, yeah. They and, still do that? Yeah, yeah. Not quite, like, you know, Pissing Monkey, but General Ballpark. Peak Pissing Monkey. <laughs> we'll never go back. You know, he told me that, 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 that he didn't mind because they had this, they're almost this, they're almost an experimental theater version of a band wherein... They have an idea. They have a couple of things that they want to, uh, you know, sort of actually plays into the idea of uh, cut-ups of, like, two ideas that might be interesting together. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the template for putting together this record. Mm -hmm. In a way, it's kind of a, a experimentation for experimentation's sake. Now, at the core of your band, I mean, you, you are a, you're a pop band or, like, a pop right, indie right. band, right? You mean yeah. you write pop songs. In, as, yeah, anthemic rock, I guess, yeah. would be the best. But just, like, you know, like accessible yeah enjoyable music uh-huh sure Hopefully. but then but then you feel like every once in a while you kind of want to introduce a, 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 a an algebra problem and well yeah but the 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 reason we did 30 of those and used five yeah. was that um i did want them to still be on that base level enjoyable yeah. <laughs> but but did you were were you were you at a point where you had sort of like a I don't know block is the right word but you needed some kind of inspiration? I wouldn't say it was either of those things. It was just like a um, wouldn't it be interesting to see yeah. what would happen if okay. kind of thing. Not like we're ten years old and let's let's try to mix things up a little bit. Let's make this marriage interesting. <laughs> Again, if that was a thought, it was unconscious. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying it's. I mean, I've, as you say it, there's some validity there, sure. Sure. Um, but um, I would rather be a band that does try those things than not. You know what I mean? And yeah, like I said, it's five or six one-minute songs. So when we do do that bizarre experiment, I'm I'm not going to take up an hour of your time. Like, yeah. Here's an eight CD yeah, box yeah, yeah. set, yeah. <laughs> unedited of jam rehearsal <laughs> jams. You know, so yeah. So I think. Do you, there, do, do you have an, Do you have an obligation? You know, uh, people have this a, a pretty clear idea of what a Hallelujah the Hills record sounds like. Do you have an obligation to uh, deliver that to? I mean, you've got this fan base. You have people supporting your records. You know, you have people paying for records before they come out. Right. Right. Do you? Is there a sense of obligation to deliver to those people what it is that they've connected to in the first place? 
um on a on a on a quality level yes but uh every uh, it, and from my point of view we haven't made the same album twice they're all pretty different so i don't feel that obligation and like i said you know i love hearing when people have an interpretation of the lyrics that um i hadn't thought of yet but one thing with you know over the last few years with twitter is someone will find a weird street sign or a sign posted in a door and say this looks like your lyrics and like that to me is really rewarding and like okay so there's a there's a you know there's a recognizable ang point of view representing the songs there's a an aesthetic or i mean pe people can identify what what your lyrics or they either or the type of things i yeah. would i would find interesting in it to put in a song yeah so you're I mean, you're working on this book. Yeah. You're you're doing PR for the theater company. Yep. Are you happier when you're working on several things at the same time? Do do you? How, how old are you, if I can ask? I'm 38. Um, a month ago, I turned 38. Happy birthday. Thank you. Is there a point where you feel like you kind of need to figure out what you're gonna do, <laughs> what you're gonna do when you grow up? Well, uh, I think I'm doing it, but. Yeah, but you're I mean, doing this, you're doing a lot of a lot of things. That's true, and it would sure again. It would, uh, you know, this I I knew this year was going to be crazy with yep. all three things going pretty full throttle, but I also knew it was just a year, and I also knew I I I couldn't predictably say I'd ever have a book deal again. So I was like, this is worth the yep. um, lack of sleep or or yep. whatever. Again, I mean, this gets back to that idea of of I'm going to regret this if I don't go all in on this right now. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. That 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 opportunity is not necessarily going to come up again. Yeah. Yeah. I if mean, if you had a Penguin book deal and you didn't give everything you could possibly could, yeah, that's gonna there's there's that's gonna be a big regret. Be sad on that old deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> is filmmaking part of the equation at all anymore? Like I said, it's what I went to school for, but immediately with that weird grant, yeah. it immediately just threw me into the music world so heavily. Were, were you in? But you were, you were in college when that grant happened. Yeah. So yeah. you, I mean, you finished college. Yep, I finished college, and I was still working on that data music project. Um, so the the film degree, I mean, I've made a lot of music videos for myself yeah. and others, um, but I would uh, at this point in my life, I would never like raise money to do a crew and yeah. shoot something. I would love to write a screenplay for instance, but um, as far as like filming goes, I love to just make short things like videos yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah. Do you feel like you're using, is it a, is it a different part of your brain, you know, making films and, and making music? Uh, I mean, yeah, they all did take different skill sets. I would say, you know, you're kind of a director, though. I, a little bit, I guess. Um, but am I? It's a pretty similar creative process, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Especially the videos that I've made. But I always say, you know, to my parents or <laughs> whoever, if they're wondering if I used that film degree to good use. <laughs> Do they email you every every Cindy letter ever call you and, and ask you what what's going on with that uh, film degree they helped? No, <laughs> they this is all self-induced. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, I th I really think it was about learning to work with other people and how to 
be creative. Yeah. Um, how do be, you know, a lot of people have ideas sitting on the couch stoned, I think, or whatever, or not stoned. I just think there's one thing you can learn is how to get the idea off the couch. Yeah. And with, that's what I learned in film school. Where it's like you, there's about 18 steps before you're screening this and all of them are important and let's go. And you really, I mean, and your first foray into making music was stupidly ambitious. I can't stress how stupidly. (laughs) I mean, it it does still surprise me to this day uh, that we did that. Yeah. But, but music and, and the bands, I mean, it's just, do you feel like it's something that you can kind of keep doing for as long as you can project? I think I, I'll be happiest if I'm always working on, yeah. Uh, little music, little writing. I think that uh, those are pretty important to me. Yeah. There you go. That's Ryan Walsh of Hallelujah the Hills. Thank you so much to him for taking the time to do that. Uh, as as I mentioned uh, during the interview, uh, I, I had seen them perform. Uh, I guess it's pretty pretty close to uh, ten years ago at this point at Arlene's Grocery in New York City during a CMJ and you know when well when CMJ was still a going concern uh, he, and he had a pass he would just go and, and jam in his, his many bands especially when you were a, a, a broke uh, writer living in New York City as I was at, at the time he would just jam in as many shows as you possibly could uh, so you, you lose track of him pretty quickly but every so so often you'll see one that really stands out to you and All of the Hills was uh, definitely one of those bands uh, very very much enjoy their live show and uh, their records as well their uh, their latest one came out last year it's called A Band Is Something to Figure Out highly recommend you check that out and uh, pretty much everything else they've done and uh, also check out uh, Ryan's uh, uh, article from uh, 2015 in Boston Magazine how Van Morrison wrote Astro Weeks soon to be a uh, major uh, major book from, from Penguin Publishing uh, thanks again to him for doing that thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program if uh, you do like the show please uh, rate us over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts that, that helps us helps uh, whatever sort of weird algorithms they use over on uh, run uh, uh, podcasting sites uh, and uh, also helps us out when we're trying to get more guests um, if you really like the show then you know consider throwing a, a couple bucks our way over on our Patreon if you've got any feedback it's rolcast at gmail.com follow us on Tumblr that's rolcast.tumblr.com that is first and best place to get all of our RIYL related information uh, like us on Facebook and I think that's about all I got so uh, stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL <laughs>